All right, if you have your Bible this morning, go ahead and turn to the book of John. John chapter 18. John chapter 18 is where we're going to be this morning. John 18. I'll get to the verses here in just a minute. It's going to be a little bit unusual. We're going to start in verse 12 when we read a minute, although we're really going to start breaking down in verse 15, okay? I know that's confusing, but regardless, John chapter 18, we'll get to the reading here in just a moment. Uh, my family is uh, kind of strange. We have this tradition where we like to, uh, to go to Orlando and go to Universal Studios. Have you ever, raise your hand if you've ever been to Universal Studios. Anybody ever been there? Okay, you guys, some of you guys know what I'm talking about. So there's a ride at Universal Studios. Uh, this is a Men in Black ride. That was a movie that has absolutely terrible language and I probably should not have seen as a teenager. But I saw that movie and I really liked that movie. We had this thing that censored the language. It doesn't matter. So anyway, I really liked the movie Men in Black and we really, really, really loved going to Universal Studios when I was a kid. Uh, we went a lot. Uh, not because it was novel and we got to experience new things, but because we just had a lot of fun and that was something my family's enjoyed doing because of our love for movies and things. And so we loved this Men in Black ride because it was interactive. You drove through in this cart and you had a little fake little zapper gun and there are these aliens all over this fake New York City and you're shooting the aliens and you're trying to score. I had three siblings plus my parents were very competitive and so we just wanted to just take each other down. You know what I mean? Uh, and so it was fun as a kid doing those things. But if you've ever been to Universal Studios or Disney World, you know that those things have incredibly long lines, right? You wait in line forever. We would go at Thanksgiving so that hopefully because it's a holiday, the lines would be a little bit shorter. But even still, you're waiting in line for a long time and there is all these monitors and these uh, decorations and things that get you in the mood. On these monitors, there was a video that was being played it was called uh, The Universe and You. It was just getting into character. But whenever you got past that part, you got to a part where they were trying to give you your Men in Black uh, instruction video, all right? Your training and so you uh, watch this video and they tell you things that you're supposed to do, things that you're not supposed to do while you're waiting in line. Uh, and they did it with these caricatures, these two guys. This is silly and uh, I feel silly even saying it, but there are these guys named Doofus and Do-Right. Okay? And it was this, you know, 1950s looking video and Doofus and Do-Right. You can imagine which one does the right thing and which one does the wrong, wrong thing. It says Do-Right and in this, you know, this 50s voice, Do-Right follows the rules and does things the right way and then it shows doofus and he looks like a doofus okay uh, he looks like he doesn't know anything and so doofus it says doofus does things his own way and so it tells you things you're supposed to do and not do on the ride it says don't eat on the ride and then it shows doofus and he's like got a napkin around his neck and he's got a plate of dinner and he's you know getting after it it's it's silly it's ridiculous but it's saying don't eat don't get out of the car don't walk off with your alien zapper it's wired to the thing you'd have to be a doofus you know to do that don't choke your neighbor with the wire that your plastic laser gun is attached to regardless there was nothing in me that wanted to eat my dinner on the ride or get out of the cart and mess with the plastic alien structures as we drove through this fake manhattan you would actually have to be a doofus to not follow these rules is what I'm trying to get at, okay? The thing is, and what I want to illustrate is that I think that we tend to look at discipleship of the people in the Bible this way. We look at a guy like Peter that we're going to look at this morning and we say, Peter, just follow the rules. Be loyal to Jesus. Don't be a doofus, right? And we look at Peter and we think that he's some caricature, like he's just some big dummy. Peter, you dummy. Just follow the rules. Don't be a doofus. But unlike that men in black ride, there is something in the hearts of disciples that is pulling and tugging at their ability to be loyal to Jesus. And that is the same thing that is pulling and tugging in your heart, and it's called sin. 
More often than we'd like to admit, we are more like Peter than we are like Jesus. And so this morning, my objective is going to be very simple. It is to show and to see and identify with the abandonment of Peter while resting in the comfort that Jesus still died for Peter. Identify with the abandonment of Peter while resting in the fact that Jesus still died for Peter. So let's look at John chapter 18 this morning. I'm going to start reading in verse 12. It should be on the screen behind me if you don't have your Bible with you. I hope that you do though and you can grab the one in the pew in front of you if you need to because we're going to go line by line, verse by verse and walk through this together, okay? John 18, starting in verse 12. I'm going to read through verse 18 and then I'm going to skip and go to verse 25. You'll see in a minute, okay? So let's look at it together. Starting in verse 12. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who would advise the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I'm not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Skip down to verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I'm not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had just cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once, a rooster crowed. Now you're probably wondering, uh, first of all, if you're a guest of ours, uh, I should say, we've been walking through the book of John, and we looked at John chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. Last week, we've literally gone through all of John up until this point. And so we're continuing the story this morning. And so you're kind of jumping in the middle with us, but that's okay. I'm going to provide a little bit of background information to make it make a little bit more sense. But you may be wondering, why did I skip that big section in the middle, and why are we not going to look more closely even at verses 12 through 14? Maybe you have subheadings in your Bible, but maybe you don't. But what I want you to see is that if you look down at your Bible, you're going to see that this narrative with Peter is sort of an interlude. It interrupts the story. Uh, If you were to delete, just remove Peter's denial, the passage flows perfectly. But John interrupts the flow. I mean, you look at it. You see Jesus faces Annas and Caiaphas, so he's on trial. And then in verse 19, if you skip Peter's denial, it says that the high priest then questions Jesus. And then you skip the next part of Jesus denying. In verse 28, it says, then they led Jesus to Pilate. I mean, really, if you just take this part out with Peter, it really flows very nicely. But John interrupts the flow for a purpose, and it's to enforce and reinforce the main theme of the book of John. And that's this, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And we see that in this moment with Peter because in chapter 13, verse 38, Jesus said that this was going to happen. Jesus is God. And so John interrupts the flow to say, I'm once again re-emphasizing Jesus is sovereign, meaning he's controlling of all of these things that are unfolding. In other words, Jesus, though he's in chains, is not out of control. 
So we're going to look at Peter's episode, then we're going to continue next week the primary narrative of the trial and so forth and so on. This weird interruption, we're just going to handle it in isolation. Last week we saw that Jesus was arrested in chapter 18 verses 1 through 11. We saw that Peter, in Peter's life, he reacted very strongly, very aggressively. He was militant against the Romans and the Jews who were coming to arrest him. And so he took his sword out, he stabbed at the dude's head, he missed his head. Well, he kind of hit his head because he hit his ear and chopped this dude's ear off. John doesn't tell us anything other than that, but just to say that Peter made a big mistake. And Jesus says, what are you trying to do? You're trying to stop me from obeying the Father and drinking in this cup of suffering. We saw that Peter was militant against the wrong enemy. Jesus came not to destroy Rome or to destroy the Jews. Jesus came to destroy sin, not sinners. And so Peter should have been about the same business. And so this week, we're going to move forward a little bit. And we're going to see that not this thing about the sinner or the sin that Peter is messing up, but rather we're going to see this week that Peter was loyal to the wrong master. Peter is confronted with the same confrontation that every believer faces, and it's this. Do you choose to guard your circumstances or choose to guard your discipleship? Do you choose to guard your circumstances or to guard your discipleship? So if you're taking notes this morning, this is going to be our structure. Two things. Loyalty to Christ means, number one, laying down my pride. Loyalty to Christ means, number one, laying down my pride. One of the things that that I was taught, mentored through, and even in seminary and and school and stuff that was important in, in trying to figure out what's the meaning of narrative, especially gospel narrative, is to identify and find the fallen condition focus. That's just a fancy way of saying, find the thing that I identify with that is sinful in the passage. Well, we don't have to look far to see it, right? The fallen condition focus is seen in the person of Peter. And so in gospel narrative, it's sometimes hard to find the meaning. But at the core, we see what was Peter's sin. It was this, the fear of man, right? That was Peter's sin. At the very core, that's what we see as the fallen condition focus. And so as we examine, let's identify in Peter what we see in him and us in him and then learn from his error, okay? Look at verse 15. Again, we're just going to look at Peter's verses. So 15 through 18 and then 25 through 27. Let's look at 15. It says, Simon Peter followed Jesus. Okay, this is after his arrest. And so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. Now this narrative is told by all of the gospel authors. And we kind of talked about that a little bit last week. That the, first, the other three gospel authors, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are very similar. But John is very, very different. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us things about this narrative that John doesn't, and they overlap some. And then John tells us some things that those other guys do not. The other synoptic gospels tell us that Peter followed Jesus as he was being arrested from a distance. We saw that the band would would arrest him, they would take him off, and yet Peter would follow from a distance, and he would kind of keep tabs and watch. And so they would come to this courtyard that we see in verse 15. Just to kind of paint a picture, this courtyard was a, it was sort of indoor, but it was outdoor at the same time. It was enclosed, but the roof was, was open. And so in the middle of this place, there was this fire pit, which we see about this charcoal fire that was being lit. It was a very informal trial that was taking place. It's not like they took Jesus to the formal governing authorities. This was probably a private residence. Basically, they were doing this on the low. All right? And they were bringing Jesus to this place to privately interrogate him about his so-called crimes. 
We see that there's another disciple. In fact, it even says in my translation, the ESV, another disciple that's not quite identified except for another disciple. Who is this guy? It's very likely, although not for sure, it's likely that it's John himself. The reason why most people think that is because there are eyewitness details like things being the charcoal fire, which the other gospel authors do not say. They talk about the identification of Malchus, we looked at last week, as well as the fact that Peter is confronted by one of Malchus's uh, people, one of his relatives. And so it doesn't take too much of a stretch of the imagination to think maybe John was the other disciple, likely so. Also, it isn't far-fetched to think that John could have family connections to Jewish officials through his wealthy father. And so it looks like in verse 15 that he just somehow gets in, all right? He is welcome into this little arena where this thing is taking place. Regardless of who the disciple was, it'd be John or somebody else. This guy goes to help Peter get in the courtyard as well. Look at verse 16. But Peter, not being inside, but but Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, which I think is John who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. What we have here is a classic he's with me situation. All right. John was known. And so he goes to this girl and says, hey, I got this. All right. I don't know how it went down. I like to use a sense of humor and say that it was sort of like having a hard time getting into a venue. And John was like, Put it on my tab kind of thing, all right? So John gets him in, regardless of what this looks like. He gets this guy in the door. It's Peter. Now, what we see in, in the book of John, and really all the Gospels, are some difference in personality types between these guys. And the reason I say this is because I think it's important that we really understand Peter in order to move forward in the passage. Well, first, John. We know that John was mild, that he was compassionate, that he was loving. In fact, he wrote a lot about the attribute of God of love and that we need to exhibit that. He was slow to speak. He was a friend of many. He was the kind of guy that when Jesus was teaching, I can almost just picture it in my head of him just sort of leaning back in his chair and maybe, you know, stroking his beard and just taking it in. Slow to speak, receiving information, internalizing the knowledge and wisdom. This is kind of the way that I picture John, just based on what we see about him in Scripture. Peter wasn't really like that. (laughs) Peter wasn't like that at all. Where John would be more like this, Peter was more like, you know, leaning forward, elbows on his knees. Okay, but what about this? You know, the kind of real high-strung kind of guy. That's just kind of the vibe that you get from Peter when you read about him. He was aggressive. I mean, goodness, we just now read last week that he pulled his sword on a guy like that and tried to kill him. I mean, really, really aggressive individual. He was impulsive instead of laid back. He was zealous. The kids would say that Peter was extra, all right? I mean, he was over the top. He was excessive. He was dramatic. Yeah, I said that, okay? Let's just get past it. Not just that, but I don't know if you know this or not. This is something so fascinating in the Bible. You know, we have the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. Did you know that Mark wasn't an eyewitness of the life of Jesus? If he was, he certainly wasn't an apostle of Jesus. And so how does Mark know all these things? Well, it's pretty much consensus that Mark used the eyewitness of somebody who he traveled with in the book of Acts. Do you know who that was? Peter. So while Mark wrote the book of Mark, it was really a lot of the content most people believe that came from Peter. Which the reason I say that is if you go read the book of Mark, and I mentioned this last week too, that it reads very, very fast. It's accelerated. It uses dramatic words like immediately this happened and then this happened and then this happened. It's fast. I compared it last week to a Marvel movie where it's just action, 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 action. Why do I say that? Because that's Peter. That's Peter, right? He is a fast-paced guy. He's aggressive. He's zealous. And so it makes sense that Peter, 
All that to say, he would be noticed very easily in this courtyard. He would be noticed very easily because he was the loudmouth. He was the aggressive disciple. And so we see his first denial. And the tone of this woman's question that we're going to see in verse 17, it's not like, if you look at, I'm not going to get into the Greek and the vocabulary and everything, but if you go read the original language, it's not like a bouncer that's seeing if he meets the prerequisites to enter the venue. He's in already. We saw it in verse 16. He got him in. But then she seems to scoffingly ask this question. Look at verse 17. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, while he's already in, okay, we saw it in verse 16, he's in. Servant girl said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now, the reason I point out this, her question sounds more uh, cynical than it was hostile. This wasn't really an aggressive approach by this lady. She's just saying, you're, you're one of his also, aren't you? Scoffingly, almost, almost cynicism is the tone, not hostility yet. Now, I believe that Peter will guard his physical safety soon, but here it seems to be that he is guarding his reputation and preventing being mocked for association with Jesus. I'm going to say that again. At this moment, at least, there's not really a physical protection that seems to be at the heart of Peter's response, but rather a protection of his reputation and prevention of being mocked for his association with Jesus. And so we see a very big blemish here. The same guy who was willing to pull his sword for Jesus, wouldn't have his ego damaged for Jesus. Same guy, willing to yank the sword out and take a jab at this guy's head. That's the same guy that wasn't willing to have his ego, a frail ego, damaged for the sake of following Christ. I think that there's a good application here. Christian, your test of loyalty to Jesus is rarely in the leaps and bounds, like whether you'd die for him or whether you'd sell all of your possessions for him. No, your daily test of loyalty is probably not in the leaps and bounds, but rather it's in the so-called baby steps of walking with Jesus. How can you say that you'd die for him if you wouldn't get out of bed a little bit early for him, is what I'm trying to say. How can you say that you'd die for him If you can't tame your gossiping tongue for him. How can you say you die for him if you can't commit to serving and giving in the church for him, both time and money? If you can't crucify your social media addiction for him. If you can't show an apology to your spouse first for him. If you can't boldly have an evangelistic conversation despite your ego for him. If you can't love your neighbor no matter what they did to you for him. How can you say you'd die for him if you wouldn't just take baby steps and live for him? All of these things have something in common. And that's that the barrier that stands in between daily loyalty to Jesus and clinging to these patterns of sin is a pride that desires self-interest over intimacy with God. Pride. Choosing you as the master instead of Christ as the master. And I think that hits home for us. And I may not have said the thing that you struggle with, but it's there. The point is, how can we say that we'll take the leaps and bounds? I'd take a bullet for Jesus. If we're not willing to see the baby steps of daily discipleship with him. 
Loyalty to Jesus over yourself will mean laying down your pride and taking up your cross. Look at verse 18. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. We see this interlude, okay, the, the high priest questions Jesus, but let's skip that. Go to verse 25. Now Simon Peter, it gets, checks back in on him, was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I'm not. We'll paint a picture here once again, okay? It's very dark. It's in the middle of the night. Jesus has just been arrested from the Garden of Gethsemane. They light this, <coughs> excuse me, they light this charcoal flyer, fire to, to light things up. They may have lanterns and things, torches maybe, but it's very dark. It's not like, you know, this place where we have, uh, you know, lights. And so even if it's dark outside, we can see each other's faces. It's very clear. It's not like that, all right? You have the light of fire. You ever been to a bonfire? It's really dark outside. And can you see each other's faces? Yeah, sort of, but not extremely clearly. And so then people, these people ask, him questions is like it's really a question i'm pretty sure but it's a little dark out here and though there's the light of the fire i can't totally see and so not just this not just the fact that peter's huddled around this fire with these other guys but we skip this part in verses 19 through 24 and i'm going to go back to it next week and preach that or all of it okay but here's what i want you to understand in summary what's going on in this passage is that jesus is being interrogated but even more check this out jesus is being verbally and physically assaulted He's being assaulted. Jesus is being assaulted. And Peter sees this. He's in the same room, just feet away. He sees this. He hears this happening. Compared to what was to come, this mild persecution that Jesus was undergoing. And it's in these circumstances that Peter is asked about his ties. And again, an hour later, that Luke tells us is the third interrogation about his ties to Jesus. The reason I say that is you understand, this is a very intense situation that Peter's in. Think about the inner turmoil. His master, his best friend of three years, is being physically and verbally assaulted just across the room from him. And they're saying, aren't you with him? It's scary, isn't it? Verse 26. So he denies it the first time. Luke tells us it was an hour before this last denial. Verse 26 says, one of, his, one of the servants of the high priest, check this out, a relative, <laughs> this is just crazy, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter, again, denies it. We see that in verse 27. This seems to be a more aggressive question. He's putting him at the arrest of Jesus as a co-conspirator, a violent one at that. Hey, didn't you cut off my my brother-in-law's ear? That's what's happening here. Weren't you the guy with the dagger that just tried to murder my family? So we see a jarring moment. Peter's put on the spot, verse 27. Peter again, notice that word again for gravity there. Peter again denied it. And at once, a rooster crowed. This is a jarring moment in Peter's heart. I already told you that the situation is violent. It's, it's intense. And it's here that Peter denies. 
a jarring moment. He was reminded of the words of his master, no doubt. In fact, the synoptic authors tell us, Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us, just a few feet away as he's being verbally and physically assaulted, he's reminded of what Jesus said in chapter 13, verse 38, which was this, will you lay down your life for me? Because Peter says, I'm going to die for you, Jesus. And Jesus says, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you've denied me three times. And so that is what is in the mind of Peter. And though John doesn't include the eye contact and the emotional, the sad, the bitter, tearful details, we feel, don't we? We feel Peter's hurt and we feel Peter's guilt. It's heavy. And it's with that in mind that I go to the second main point today, that loyalty to Christ means this, and isn't this good news? His grace is greater than my guilt. Think about the weight. Peter has betrayed his master. He goes away weeping bitterly. What a time to be reminded that God's grace is greater than our guilt. His grace is greater than my guilt. The passage is interlaced, which just means, like I said, it kind of goes back and forth. It's like a movie. You guys watch TV shows or like uh, movies where it's like, this is happening over here, and at the same time, this is happening over here. Meanwhile, this is happening over here. It's interlaced that way, and so we see Peter, and then we see Jesus being interrogated, and we see Peter again, and we see Jesus being interrogated again, and back and forth. It's interlaced that way, and we're going to examine the aspects of the trial next week, but I want you to understand why John interlaced it. I want to understand why John did this. Why did he use this literary technique? Here's the reason. He did it, listen, to contrast Jesus and Peter. Here's what I mean. Jesus was loyal to his father perfectly, whereas Peter was disloyal to Jesus completely. Comparing, right? Jesus stood firm. He was willing to die to be loyal and obedient to the father in heaven. And Peter wouldn't identify with Jesus. Perfect loyalty, perfect betrayal. But, listen, this is not the end of Peter's story. This is not the end of Peter's story. Peter disowned his master in wicked and terribly sad fashion, but Jesus was sovereign over this moment. He was in control, and that's the point. Listen, Peter's sin is great, but it exists to display how much greater is the grace that forgave and restored him. The Bible's about God. This perfectly displays how wonderful, how majestic is the love of Jesus for his people. This aggressive, impulsive, dare I say doofus, aggressive and impulsive dummy would go on to be declared by Jesus as the zealous rock upon which Christ would build his church. How about that for a life-changing story? My point is this, you have mightily sinned against God and you are mightily responsible for the nails that were driven between the bones of his wrists and you stand mightily condemned before a holy God, but God, by his wounds, you may be healed. And isn't that the good news of the gospel? That you are Peter in this story. When you sin, it is betrayal against a holy God and yet God still died for you. Jesus still died for you. The betrayer. The sinner. At Calvary, 
We sing about this, right? He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. That's exactly what happened at the cross of Calvary. His blood has made the foulest clean. And the good news of the gospel is that his blood can do the same thing for you and for many it has. Praise God. Amen. And so I think one instruction from this. We watched two people be baptized. We heard their testimonies. And we worked together on that testimony. It was their words 100%. But I wanted them to make sure and tell you the big details. And that was that they were a sinner. That Jesus died for them. That they admitted that sin. And placed their faith and trust in Christ who died for that sin. And that they were committing their lives to him for the rest of their lives. That's the gospel. And so the reason that we do the testimony thing and read it that way is because Kara and Holly weren't saved by the church. They weren't saved by, you know, religiosity. They weren't saved by their, their mom and dad who really raised them to live right. That's not good enough. They were saved by grace through faith. Sinners. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. And yet God in his love and mercy saved them. And hear me. He wants to do the same for you. He wants you. He wants you. He loves you. To take the words of Jesus. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now if you have. Here's my word of application for you. God has restored you. Praise God. He's restored you though for two ends. Two purposes, we put it that way. Number one, he's restored you to service. He's restored you to service. Peter found life in Jesus and it transformed his focus in life. And what I mean by that is that God used Peter. You know that? You know, he changed Peter's life, but he didn't change Peter in a sense. Peter was still zealous. He was still aggressive. He still sinned mightily. By the way, when he was confronted by the fear of man in Galatians, I think chapter 2, he betrayed his brother Paul and said, I want to hang out with the circumcision crowd. He was still a sinner. Peter was still a sinner. But God used Peter. He used him. He used his gifts. He used his personality. And that's the same is true for you. That God has restored you for a purpose. He's restored you for service. Guys, serve in the church. Plug in. Be a part of things. Pour out that you may be poured into. Serve others. Live sacrificially. Live on mission. Live missionally. Love people with grace, not bitterness. Not begrudgingness. Love people with the same grace that you've been showed. God didn't show you a grudge. Lay down your pride, in a sense. Lay it down. God has called you to a life of service. He has restored you to a life of service. Secondly, He's restored you for the second purpose, which is to friendship. And this is wonderful. Man, this is good news. God has restored you to friendship. To friendship. You were at enmity with God. That means is you weren't just like, on bad terms with God, coming into this world as a sinner, you were an enemy of God. Militantly against Him. Opposed to Him. Enemy of God. Separated from Him. But the love of Jesus has brought you near. You who were the enemy can be called a friend of God. Can be called a friend of God. And that's one of the things. That God has restored you to friendship. So listen, love God. (laughs) Love Him. 
He wants to be your friend. Yes, He's your master. Yes, He's your God. But He wants intimacy with you. Spend time with Him. Listen, admire His attributes. There may be no greater thing that you can wake up and think about is just how wonderful God is. God, thank You for the grace of another day. Thank You for the love of Christ. Thank You for the generosity of a family. Thank You for this roof over my head. You walk outside, God, the stars in the sky, the clouds proclaim how wonderful you are. God, you are the author of all these things. You're the author of life. Apart from you, I have no life. Admire him and see him all around you. And I think that one great way to reflect on that is this. When you come into this place to worship, whether you're with strangers or you with people that you have done life with for decades. We come to this place, we call it a worship service. We call it a worship service. But I'm going to tell you something. This isn't some spiritual grocery store or gas station where you come get filled up. You know, the worship service isn't me serving you, primarily. It's not the music being a service to you. You know the services toward? It's a worship service. Who do you think? This gathering is about God. We remember what, he is, what He's done. And I want you to understand, when you're here, you need to see it as nothing less than a blessed reminder that you are a friend of God in the name of Jesus. And so let's go in the good news of the gospel, proclaiming the gospel and living out a faith that is real, that is transformative, that we outwardly display what God has inwardly accomplished because of the blood of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, as we respond now, as we sing, how wonderful that you are. Move in us. Father, we identify with Peter in so many ways. We are the betrayer. Each time that we sin, we side more with Peter than with Jesus. We betray you. And yet, by your love and your grace and your mercy, Lord, you have seen fit to save us. Help us to be loyal to you, to live out a faith that is sincere and real. And yet, Lord, help us to be reminded that when we inevitably fail, like Peter, Jesus still died for us. Thank you for the grace of the cross. Help us to respond now. Help us to get out of our own way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.